It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Today is another episode of Frontline Friday with my very special guest and regular guest, Bridget Gleason. Bridget, how are you this morning? I'm doing super. Good morning. Good, good, good. That's good to hear. So I, I think we did an episode without a weather report. How's the weather where you are? How could we have done that? I don't I know. Got it. You've got to go we'll back. Get, we'll, get, and, we'll get emails from the listeners there. Exactly saying we don't know what the weather is and we, we need to know. Weather here in California is beautiful. There was a little bit of rain this morning when I was out running. But it looks clear and nice and um, all good. Can't complain. What about you, Andy? Where where are you today? <laughs> Where in the I world always, is Andy? That's the first thing we need to know. Right, I'm in, in my San Diego office today. Very so, nice. Not a cloud in the sky down here today, so it's it's very nice. That's very nice. Yeah, nice to escape from New York, where spring hasn't really made up its mind whether it wants to make an appearance or not. Well, and didn't in Southern California, I don't know if you were there last week, didn't they also, wasn't spring struggling to uh, make her appearance also in Southern California last week? Wasn't it a bit rainy? Uh, you know, actually, I was I was up in your neck of the woods last week in, in the Bay Area. So it was raining, yes. <laughs> we're in the San Francisco area. So yeah. So anyway, so today I thought we'd do this. You and I, we, we talk at public events and... and uh, Certainly attend a lot of conferences and here may have work with clients and companies that you advise and I advise and we hear a lot of sort of common questions from sales managers, sales leaders, CEOs, entrepreneurs about sales. And I thought we would take on some of those questions today that sort of the most common ones and um, sort of talk through them. Great. So the ones that I've heard a lot recently has to do with how do I design an effective compensation plan for my sales team? One that you know, achieves my goals. Andy, can we get a real expert to talk about this one? <laughs> this is so vexing. And I, I hear this one a lot as well. And it's one of these that, you know, I don't, I don't know if anybody has really cracked the code on designing a great sales compensation, compensation plan. plan. Yeah, I mean, what would you say about well, that? Well, let's, so let's 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 think about a different question, sort of aligned okay. with this topic. Is because I raise this all the time with companies. Mm -hmm. Do you even need a sales compensation plan? I mean, do you need to pay commission to your sales reps? It's it's interesting that you ask that. I have a a startup that is kind of going back and forth on that one as we speak. They traditionally haven't. And they're wondering if that helps or hurts. You, you create a different, I, I think you're going to get a different kind of person. Uh, and, and I don't think that's necessarily good or bad. I think that just is. If it's, a, it's, if it's a flat rate, regardless of what you bring in or not, versus somebody that really is looking to go, uh, you know, they, they want to know that if they work, 14 hour days that they potentially could make more money than if they, than the people that aren't. Well, I think what, it, what would you say? What would you say about that? Well, I think it's a cultural issue. 
Yeah, right? Because well, you start true. creating a divide between sales and everybody else when sales gets paid commission, which is not necessarily bad in all cases. But you know, I hearken back to an example company I worked for a couple of decades ago, actually. But we were, I came on board and, and started a, a division of the company and uh, we were selling sort of custom products. You know, every, it was large development product, projects doing on a custom basis for for customers that these products would then go on to become standard products. But initially they were customized and it really was very much of a team sale. I mean, it took engineering, customer support, executive team, sales, and so on. It's sort of typical, prototypical, large, complex sale. And in that environment, you know, the CEO was really pretty, pretty clear, and which I thought was, you know, very astute on his part because this was a very much of an engineering-driven company, as many tech companies were and are, and said, um, I can't justify to the engineers why I would pay commission to the sales rep because... The engineers were as instrumental in getting this deal as the sales rep was. So in that case, you know, it was really a cultural issue, is who did the work to help bring in the business and a matter of treating everybody equitably. And so in that case, the sales reps were paid a nice, a nice salary. And um, a couple of years down the road where some of these products matured and became standard off-the-shelf products, then they could earn commission selling those. So fundamentally, I, I like that model because I'm very much a believer that sales is the tip of the spear, but they're not the spear. And as you say, in most companies, well, it, 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 in every company, sales is doing a piece of it, but they're not doing all of it. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to foster this culture of um, everybody's in it together, than just having sales be yet another role. I mean, the the only argument against that is salespeople get commission, but they're they're typically it's it when you look at their OTE, it's because they're getting a salary typically half of what their OTE would be. So it's sure. just how they're being paid. We had this was early on where we offered. Uh, the sales engineers, an opportunity to be paid. Actually, I think they offered everybody in the company, it was a small company, to be paid the same way that sales were paid so that you can have the upside as well. Mm -hmm. And no one else in the company wanted it. (laughs) So they said, we would rather just know what our salary is and have the OTE be less than have there be the mix, than have there be the variable. So oftentimes, other people in the company they don't want the they they don't want that level of of risk associated with their salary. Well, I think that if you look at it in the context of this, might be something you do in an earlier stage company, right? As when mm-hmm. you have less standard product, or you know, the product requires more of a team effort to sell. Then, then I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I. I but even in that company, the example I gave, we ultimately started paying commission once we had standard product. But in the early days, I mean, you don't want to pay your sales reps a draw or any of these other things that you know that oftentimes are asked for because you know the product is so new and the sort of prospects are somewhat uncertain. So paying somebody a little bit higher salary up front and then over time shifting it to more of a variable seemed to be a good solution. Yeah, and I've seen that too, Andy, and I, I definitely would recommend that. That seems... 
that that seems like a good a good solution to me. And as you said, there are comp plans that make sense at different stages, at different times, in different situations. Which, again, it's why there isn't a definitive source or comp plan that a company can roll out and say this is what works for this is what works for our company because a lot of it has to do with what the objectives are for the company at a particular point in time. Mm-hmm. And so another question that I get along the same line, and sort of the last one we'll take on compensation is, is, you know, do you have one plan for the entire sales team or, and especially this is true against, you know, small and mid-sized companies, um, you know, can, Certain reps have a different plan than other reps, depending on the accounts they have and and so on. Uh, so, you know, I, I like simplicity. So I would like to say, yeah, just have one plan. I found that hard in reality. So sometimes it's you you've got different plans because somebody has is handling SMB and small accounts versus uh, mid-size or larger accounts, mm-hmm. or maybe somebody's handling all inbound and somebody else is having to do outbound, which may be harder to get into it. Um, if it's, uh, so it's okay to have different plans for people doing different jobs within sales. I think so. I think it, I think it's, I think it needs to be, I think to have everybody on the same plan again, while I like the simplicity, I, I think it's hard to execute Okay. Fairly. All right. I like that. I agree. Done the same thing myself. Um, all right. So another interesting topic that's eh, somewhat aligned with what we just talked about is, and this again, this more of a small and mid-sized uh, company problem, perhaps, is I'll call it title creep in sales. You know, I, I see this a lot of times in smaller companies as they bestow titles on salespeople that this it's sort of a form of implicit compensation i guess the salesperson thinks they need to have a more important sounding title in order to sound worthy of the customer's time gosh this one i have been asked about this and at Every a bazillion times, a bazillion times. So this is really very relevant, very germane. Um, yeah. So it's basically when when a salesperson wants either a manager role or a director role, at least or, by title. Yeah, they want some title. Sometimes it's for internal reasons, like they feel like they deserve, hey, I'm doing the job of a director, give me a director title. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they want it for external reasons. If I'm going to be interacting with these uh, VPs, then I need something, I need them to know that I'm, you know, at their level. So I need at least to be a director. So do you buy that argument? I don't buy that argument personally. I I think that... (laughs) that Buyers are very rarely fooled by, by a title. <laughs> I mean, uh, they know. I, I agree. I agree. For the for the external, for sure, they 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 know. And and what is a a VP at one company could be a senior manager at a large company. I mean, so I think that's one thing that 
I also pay it. I also find it when hiring, I was going to say, is oh, yeah. some people tell me, oh, but I'm a, I was a director here. I was a VP here. I don't want to go backwards. So, well, you were a VP at a f- six-person startup, and now you're going to a 300-person company. You're not going to be a VP. It's, it's so you can either stay with a small company or understand that that here translates to a senior director role. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the lessons for managers that are listening to this is that it seems like easy currency to give away when you're hiring people to bestow titles on somebody, situations you just talked about, somebody wanting the VP title. You're not doing them any favors, for one. Um, and two is you're not doing yourself a favor because it's just going to make your life more complicated as you continue to grow is, you know, I've seen this in startup after startup is, yeah, they hired somebody early on as a, you know, a VP just because it was easy to make them a VP. But then as the company grows, you know, this person's out of their depth altogether, But but they've got this title and it's suddenly readjusting that for them, especially if they're making a great contribution to the company, but they're just, you know, haven't grown with the company. You know, they didn't have the capabilities of growing with the company, but they still, the job they do is important. They do a good job. I've seen this number of times, but rarely does the person want to stick around when their title's, you know, downgraded. But if they had been brought in at the, the appropriate level and done the great job and rewarded as such, yeah, there wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah, it, there was a, one client that I had when I was consulting Andy and I worked with this client who shall remain nameless for about four years. And I watched the title creep. And it was it was humorous, really, to watch where they started giving director titles uh, uh, like they were going out of business. Mm-hmm. So they started giving director titles. And the director said, well, hey, we've got so many directors. I need to be a VP. And then you had this large group of VPs. And then one person was promoted to a CSVP. And then pretty soon you saw, and sometimes, Andy, it was funny, the, I think the VP of marketing just took the title and changed it on the website. And suddenly he was SVP. And then you got all these <laughs> SVPs. And then people started clamoring and say, well, I think I need to be, I need a C. I want to be the CTO, the CRO, the CFO, the CIO, the... And I thought, God, this is so funny just to watch over the course of four years how this issue of giving the titles away too easily just creates this title creep that at the end of the day doesn't, doesn't, doesn't really mean anything and, and actually creates a lot of problems internally. Yeah, so I, I think the lesson, the bottom line lesson is that if you're hiring a sales rep and they say they need a title so that the buyer will respect them, then you've got the wrong person for the job. Yeah, that's true. That's because, true. Because the buyer sees through it anyway. They know where they know where the authority sits. I mean, they know if it's just a title or if it's actually a thing. Right. So, yeah, you're not doing that person any favor. And, and if they think they need that to make themselves more, you know, to be able to open doors and talk to more people, that's that we know that doesn't work either correct okay good we're gonna take a short break we'll be back talking about more questions we've been hearing recently in sales frontline friday with my guest bridget gleason hi this is andy 
Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. All right, welcome back. Frontline Friday, we're talking about hard sales questions that we've been, really sales management questions we've been hearing recently. And we've talked about how to design a compensation sales compensation plan that works, which we sort of answered. Um, we talk about title creep and sales. So next one's a hard question, and I get asked this frequently: is how do you how do you terminate an underperforming sales rep? You know, this is a really hard task. I mean, terminating anybody, you know, you're messing with people's lives. It's a difficult task. But but how do you how do you do that? And how do you maybe another parallel question that comes along with that is how do you know that you've seen enough that that the person can't turn it around, that, you know, that it's the time to make that, that decision. Yeah. And unfortunately, if you do this job with, for any length of time, the job being a VP of sales job or a manager director job where you're managing people, um, you're, you're going to have to learn how to do this, how to terminate employees and how to do it effectively. And, your 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 last question on there is how do you know when you've given it enough time? And I think one of the important things is I don't want anyone to be surprised if if there's going to be a termination. Sometimes it's if if there's a a layoff is different than mm-hmm. if it's performance related. Yeah, I'm, let's let's stick with performance related. Yeah. So with performance related. It's the job of the manager to set clear expectations, both activity-related as well as results-related, and that those are reviewed on a periodic basis. And when I say periodic, I mean no more time, no lengthier than weekly. Mm -hmm. So, so, So there should be frequent, and a sales rep should know how they stack and what they're doing. Uh, we, I, I know a lot of people here use or who are listening use Salesforce. Um, we have a, we call the standards of performance dashboard. And we talked in an earlier episode, Andy, about uh, books we like. And right. one of the ones that we talked about was uh, Bill Walsh and the score takes care of itself and this notion of standards of performance. And the reason we I put that into place is so that a rep can see on his dashboard every day, every minute, red, yellow, green, where they are in terms of my expectations, in activities, in results, and there are no surprises. And it gives a manager the opportunity to talk about um, this is where you are, how do we how do we get better, and, and putting plans in place to how we can improve on these different things. In terms of how long do you give it, I think that probably um, needs to be answered with some context. 
you know, how long does it take other similar people to do it? Is there a certain ramp that you expect? You know, what's what's the context in terms of how long it's taken other people to do it? But I would say within the first three months, sometimes within the first month, you can tell. When they're, when, they're a new, when they're a new employee. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking about somebody that maybe you need to do a turnaround on. So someone who's been doing well and the performance falters. Right, right. Yeah, well, I, I would say that within a quarter. Yeah, I think that... If I just have a gut. If I just have a gut for, again, not having context around a particular sure. situation. Yeah, I think I that... Within a quarter. Yeah, I mean, I... To me, this is this is really a tough topic because, mm-hmm. yeah, any for me, any rep that fails, I've always seen as a personal failure. You know, either I made a mistake in hiring the person, or I haven't done a good enough job coaching and managing the person to help them succeed. And I think that's it's an aspect that managers oftentimes don't look at is when someone's struggling is to look at what you yourself are doing first to help them. And it may be one thing to say, yeah, I'm going through the motions, we've got our weekly one-on-ones, and I do coaching, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, are you, are you putting that extra effort in to help, if you, especially if you think the person, it's a situation where maybe they were doing well before, and suddenly they're not doing as well, or that you mm-hmm. hired somebody that you thought had great potential, great track record, and something just isn't clicking in your environment, is you got to look at what you're doing, first and foremost, and say, okay, um... Yeah, am I doing everything I should do? Am I being clear enough with this person what the expectations are? Am I devoting the right amount of time to them to help them understand exactly what works in this environment? You know, have I modeled the behaviors you know with customers? Have I observed some of their calls? Have I taken them on calls and uh, you know shown them how to do it? Have you taken the steps that really required? Because you've made a big investment to hire this person, and if they've been on board for a while, you've made a big investment investment in onboarding them. You need to make sure you put enough time into making sure that you've done what you can do to, to salvage them. I, I couldn't agree more with that. I always tell my team and my managers, my reps, that it's my job to make them successful. That's my job. That's what I, so I also feel like the first thing to look at is what am I doing or not doing, particularly if it's a frontline manager for me, um, and what are the managers doing or not doing to help enable someone to be successful? I think that's a really, really the first place to look when someone is struggling is have we given them what they need? Have we enabled them to be successful? And if not, what can we be doing to help them a- achieve what what we want them to achieve? Especially if, you're, especially if you're in an environment where you have a rigorous hiring process, as it sounds mm-hmm. like you do, then... You know, somebody gets by that screening and gets on board and it's not working, then yeah, it's it's really you have to cause to stop and, and think, okay, well, what could we be doing better for this person? Because we thought they were worth the effort and the investment to bring on board. Right. Right. And then like you said, if 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 there is something wrong and you do need to terminate them, looking at was it a hiring issue? Was it a miss somehow? And if it was a miss in the hiring why was that? And what do we need to do? Uh, what do we need to look for? Do differently? Because it's painful. I mean, if we think it's if it's costly and painful and disruptive to bring somebody on that doesn't work, 
you know, you look at it from a rep's perspective and let's, let's magnify that. You know, it's a lot more disruptive for the individual when it doesn't work out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I think we all have horror stories about, you know, letting people go and, and mm. finding out that there's things going on behind the scene and their personal lives and others that, mm. that you know, maybe if you had spent more time, you might have found out that were really, and, you know, you couldn't do anything about those. You can't take on all that. But yeah, we've, we've all had that stories, as I said, very disruptive of people's lives. And but I think the the message you know I have for people is is as you said the standards of performance your dashboard your metrics are so important but even in there you know it may be telling you a different story than just this person isn't working it's this person needs to learn more about what it takes to do this job and then the metrics may start having more relevance for them yeah and the and the metrics really are meant to be uh, a guidepost. You know, to if if in the case of Sumo Logic and the standards of performance dashboard, red, yellow, green. If I see a lot of reds, it's a it's a signal. It's a warning. It's something's not working. And what is it? Is it the process? Is it the training? Is it the enablement? Is it the person? Is it the coaching? Is it what is it? Something's not working. And it's it's really meant to be that. It's not meant to be. Um, a punishing tool, but rather what I tell the managers is, and, and the reps is this is really designed so that I know how to help, I know where to help and how to help. Interesting. That's, that's what it's for. Yeah. And sort of last point on this is, and it's sort of interesting, I was conference recently and listening to speakers talk about influence of big data in sales. And you really got the sense from certain of the speakers that you know, is this trend to sort of diminish the importance of this sort of one-on-one coaching, managing aspect of the management job in favor of, you know, hey, this is what the numbers say. And boy, those weekly one-on-ones you do, those are, those are pointless because now we've got these, you know, predictive analytics that are going to tell us all this information about the forecast and the pipeline. And, and it seems like, yeah, that's, that's, I don't think the personal part's ever going to go away. And if it does, it's to your peril. I think the personal part will go away when there are robots doing the job. But until <laughs> then, the personal part's not going to go away. We're humans. There's just the fundamental of who we are and how we operate. And I, I, that will not go away. And so I agree with you. The human element will continue to be important until you've got bots doing it and then bots don't need it but humans need it yeah and i think i agree that's that's not going to change and it's again you you take that pure data approach at your peril because you're just going to chew up and grind through people and ultimately be creating the culture that's not the one you want within your company or or that people will not want to stay in they're not going to want to stay in it in that kind of a culture yeah and so it Again, a cautionary tale for people listening is, yeah, data's great. Use it effectively. But there's a lot of managers I know that are uncomfortable with the coaching and the managing aspect of it. Yeah, it's not an excuse to lose yourself in the numbers and not do the other. You really need to step up to the bar. Do the coaching that's really Correct. required. Yeah. All right. Well, good. Well, Bridget, another great episode. 
And likewise, Andy, I look forward to the next one. Yeah. And thank you, everybody, for listening again. And Bridget, thank you. Wonderful. Have a great week. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com. 